Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. And uh, I want to talk to you today uh, on the thought of making a miracle. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read from Acts chapter 10 and uh, verse 38. This is how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence we feel in this place, God. We thank you for all you've done for us, Lord. You are just amazing. Lord, I just ask that you bless this message today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, making a miracle. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but everyone's interested in miracles. Uh, In the church, out of the church, it doesn't matter. You just look around. You see uh, all the movies about superheroes and superpowers and supernatural things happen to people. Uh, And if you you do start looking uh, for Christian books, there's... Thousands, if not millions of them, on miracles and on uh, the supernatural and things like that. I've, I've read a lot of books about uh, miracles. I've read several of uh, R.W. Shambach's books where it's just testimony after testimony, Catherine Coleman, testimony after testimony, all these different ones. Um, and it's just everybody wants to know about miracles. Everybody wants to experience miracles. Everybody wants to know how to have miracles happen in their life. And uh, like I said, there's been a, a lot of books on it. I heard a I heard a guy speaking a few years ago. It seemed like there was a time where uh, every book that came out in the Christian world had the word supernatural somewhere in the title. And uh, this guy was speaking as a guest speaker, and, and uh, he said he was writing a book that he really didn't know what he was going to write about. He really didn't have anything to say, but it really didn't matter because he had the perfect title to make sure it sold a lot of copies and he could make a lot of money. And I, th- I think I got the title right, but he said it was going to be titled the supernatural book of how to be supernatural in a supernatural way, supernaturally. And he said he figured if he could get that many supernaturals in the title that it would sell because people were so interested in the supernatural and in, in miracles. And so I want to talk to you about making a miracle because I believe in miracles. Uh, I've experienced miracles. I have witnessed miracles. And we should all be expecting and experiencing miracles in our, in our lives. And so what does it take to make a miracle? What, what does it take? And that's what everybody wants to know. That's why they're spending so much money on, on the books and everything else. Uh, but this sermon is not a message uh, where I'm going to tell you if you do this, this, and this, you're going to experience a miracle. Uh, there's not going to be a special offering at the end for you to experience a miracle. There's not going to be any special water for you to experience a miracle. It doesn't work that way. That's not what this... I'm not going to tell you this is what you do and you'll have a miracle in your life But what I want to do is give you something to think about. I only have one point to this message. There's not three points. There's not three steps. There's nothing like that. Uh, And what I'm trying to do is just give you something for thought to see if maybe 
uh, we have forgotten something very important as we as the church have continued to go after miracles. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. We, we need to be going after miracles because God is the God of miracles. And if you go after God, you're going to experience miracles. So you should expect that. But see, we've tried for years in the church to pump people up, to build their faith, and to get them to take risks and do crazy things to experience a miracle. And uh, I'm not saying that any of that's bad. I re Actually, as calm as I am, I really do like wild, crazy services. I love being in those and, and watching people do crazy things. I just, I do. But maybe you've heard some of those phrases in sermons about building faith. I've preached on building faith. I've read books on that. I've and uh, trying to get people motivated. And we know even Paul saw that the man's faith was ready to be healed, and he told him to get up, and the man was healed. So we, there's something to that. I'm not taking away from, from any of that. But uh, what if we've overlooked something simple but important in this pursuit of miracles? See, what I mean by that, and, and I hope, hopefully I can get this point across and, you don't, and it doesn't offend anybody or, or make me sound too crazy, but have you ever been in a service where... Uh, it kind of seemed like the person that was praying for everyone was more interested in the miracle than they were the person they were praying for that was in need. Maybe you've been that person getting prayer. Maybe you've gotten called in the moment. You've been the person doing the praying. It's not, I'm not bashing anybody for it, but it happens. See, our motivation should always be love. Now, it might not always be love because we're human, and sometimes we get stuck on ourselves and we make mistakes, but it should be our goal. It should, our goal should be love. And so I feel like what I'm about to propose to you is not only a, a vital part in the making of a miracle, but that it's also a, uh, it, it's also, a, also a valuable tool for us to use to make sure that we keep love as our motivation as we do the works of God. Now, we know that miracles are a result of God's power. It's the power of Jesus Christ, the power that resurrected Jesus that works in us, that does these things. It's the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. But what I want to propose to you today is that miracles go hand in hand with good works. And therefore, that makes good works a key to making a miracle or experiencing a miracle. Now, not talking about good works, about earning salvation or because you win God, you know, favor with God for doing a certain thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about just being people of good works with the right motivation, that motivation of love. And so I want to look again at Acts 10, 38, because you might not have seen it the first time I, I read it here. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, we know that's key, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So this verse tells us that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit and with power and says that God was with him. And we know that uh, that's necessary to experience miracles, to walk in miracles in our, in our lives. But notice that it says he went about doing good. It says he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. It doesn't say that he went about doing good by healing all that were oppressed. Healing those that were oppressed, setting those free that were uh, demonized, that was not the only part of doing good that Jesus did. He went about healing people, but he also went about doing good. Jesus didn't just do works and miracles, he did good works. And if he did good works, we should be people of good works. Now this, message is, uh, this verse is from the message that Peter preached to Cornelius and his family. And, um, and so if you look back at the beginning of the chapter of 
of Acts 10, I want you to notice something even about Cornelius and how he got the attention of the Lord. It says this in Acts 10, verse 1, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And, he, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. His alms, his giving to the poor, the good works that he was doing. It wasn't just his prayers that came up as a, a memorial offering before the Lord. It was also the good works of giving alms to the poor that came up as a memorial offering to the Lord. See, I believe that prayer is important. I believe it's a must. I believe that faith is important. I believe that holiness is important. But I also believe that good works are important as well. And many times they seem to get neglected. James 2, verse 18, it says, I will show you my faith by my works. Same thing. We're not talking about doing something to get saved or doing something just to to receive a miracle from God, but, but so, many, so many books out there are being sold on faith. I bet if someone wrote a book on good works, no one would hardly even buy it. Because everybody wants more faith, but yet you prove your faith by your good works. And you know as well as me, if you thought long enough, it wouldn't take you very long to think of someone in your mind that claims to be a person of faith, and you can't think of one good thing that they've done for anybody in a real long time. Because they're so concerned about getting more faith, they've forgotten about the good works that God has put before them to do. Good works will show your faith. Think about this. In Acts chapter 12, in Acts chapter 12, uh, James, the brother of John, has just been killed. Peter's been thrown into prison. They're worried that Peter's next. And so uh, many of the church people gather together. And they start praying for Peter to be rescued. And we know the story. The angel shows up in the prison uh, and just leads Peter right out. The, gate, the gates open up. He just walks straight out of prison. So Peter shows up. He's knocking on the door. The girl comes to the door, hears Peter's voice, runs back, tells everybody it's Peter. They don't believe her. They say it, it must be Peter's angel. It can't be Peter. He's, he's locked up. Okay, so we know that we've probably, most of you heard that story. Now, there's no way for me to prove this, but this is just my way of thinking here. But since they were, what they were praying for was answered. They're praying for Peter to be freed. Peter is freed. But they didn't even believe it was Peter. And remember, Peter didn't believe it either while it was happening to him. He thought he was in a trance. And so they didn't believe it. They're praying for something to happen. It happens and they don't believe it. So I'm going to have a hard time thinking that their prayers were answered just because they had so much faith in the room. It's just going to be hard for me to believe that because if they were really praying with this amazing faith, they would have left the door unlocked. Peter wouldn't have had to knock. He'd have just walked in. If they'd have had this amazing faith, they would have been checking outside about every 30 minutes to an hour to see if they could. Has anybody seen Peter coming up the road yet? We're praying for him to be released so we know it's going to happen because we're such people of great faith. So I'm going to have a hard time thinking that this prayer was answered because of their faith. And I'm not taking prayer out of the equation because, like I said, prayer is a must. Prayer is vital. But could it be that their prayer, the answer to their prayer, happened because it was related to their good works and not just faith in what they were praying? Because James 2.17 also tells us what? That faith 
without works is dead. So doing good works is actually a sign of faith. Even if they might not have been showing a lot the night that they were praying, we know that they were people of good works. We know they were people of faith. Faith will have works. We know that they were people of faith because they had good works. They had been taking care of the orphans and the widows. Just a few chapters earlier, we read about where they were choosing seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to, to take care of the distri uh, distributing the food to the orphans and the widows. See, doing good works can look many different ways now. It can change. It can be different things for different people. But doing good works is powerful because doing good works is the work of the kingdom. And when you're doing the work of the kingdom, you're going to experience kingdom results, which are miracles. See, a lot of people talk about the kingdom. I talk a lot about the kingdom and talk about wanting to do the work of the kingdom. The work of the kingdom is not always some super spiritual, spectacular looking thing to everybody. It's the good works that God has called you to do. They're that important. And see, there are all kind of people out there, and they're praying, and they're, they're searching for what God's purpose for them is. There's a lot of books on that, too. I've read some of them. I might have probably prayed that prayer in the last month or so. You probably have, too. Praying, what does God want you to do? What does God have for me to do? What's my purpose? What's my destiny? I don't have all the answers, but I can at least get you started in the right place with two words good works. God's purpose for you is to do good works. God's created you to do good works. He's called you to do good works. And you've probably heard people say that there's just this amazing joy, this amazing peace and fulfillment and comfort and power that comes when you're, when you're in the place that God has called you to be and you're doing the thing that God has called you or created you to do. I agree with that statement, but I would add to it that there's also miracles when you're in that place that God has called you to be and doing that thing that God has called you to do. And what I'm suggesting this morning is that God has called all of us to good works because we've all been created for good works. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I know you've probably all heard this scripture too, but I want you to really think about this and hopefully chew on it the whole week this week. See, we are His workmanship. And I know you've heard it said too, and we know that God doesn't make any junk. You're His masterpiece. We're His workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus. And then it tells us what we were created for. You hear a lot of messages of what you're created for. We're created for worship. We're created for fellowship and relationship with the Lord. And all those things are true. But right here, this scripture specifically tells us we were created for good works. And I know I've emphasized how important the little things are over and over again, but I want you to notice this. These good works that we were created for, no matter how big, no matter how small, they're so important that He prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. What are you supposed to be doing? Walking in the good works that God has created for you. He prepared them beforehand. So this means that the good works that God has for you to do are so important that He created the work before He created you. You're created in Christ Jesus for good works that He already created beforehand. So that means before you were here, He already had the work. He created that good work, and it's so important and it's so amazing that then He turned around and created you and me to be the perfect ones to walk in that work and to carry it out and to get it done. Good works are important, but unfortunately they've been neglected by many people and by many churches over the years. 
a lot of people have forgotten about the good works, and so they go after more faith and more power and more influence. And there's nothing wrong with that. We've all prayed for those three things as well. I'm not against it at all. But most have forgotten and have, or have never even understood the importance and the power of good works. They try to jump ahead. They try to, I don't know, they try to they tr do everything they can to fight and scratch and do everything to get a position somewhere. And they, all they had to do was just be faithful in the good works that God has called them to do. And there's a lot of people that they spend a lot of time driving themselves crazy trying to reach that next level of success instead of just doing the good work that God has called them to do. So I want to tell you about two different types of people, and the first one is the good one. It's not going to sound like it to begin with, but this is the good one. I mean, So I mean all this in the positive way, but have you ever been around someone or known someone that they read the Bible, they knew the Bible, they studied the Bible, they lived by it, all this stuff, but you would never really know it when you were around them. You wouldn't know they knew that much about the Bible when you're around them. And I mean it in a good way because they never use Bible verses to attack other people or to beat other people up with it. They're just good people. They're good to everyone. Uh, they're not hard to deal with or hard to get along with. And then later on as you're around them, you find out, you know, that they lead a Bible study or that they're a, a teacher in their church or that they're, you know, what you find out how... Uh, even more amazing the person uh, the person is. They're just good to everybody, and, they, and, and, and you find it out later. And then at the same time, maybe you've known someone that, man, they could quote scriptures left and right, not just verses, chapters, maybe not just chapters, books. And they can just quote everything like this, and they know all this stuff, but they're always using it to attack someone or to prove that they're better than someone, or maybe they're just plain hateful and, and mean to be around. Have you ever tried to talk to anybody about the Lord that had a family member like that? Man, they're hard. I tried to talk to a guy one time. I had kind of made it, built a relationship with him. And then I thought maybe a good way was because I found out that his brother was, uh, knew someone that I knew from like with connections we had through ministry, only to find out that apparently his brother's wife was like the meanest Christian in the world, apparently. <laughs> he couldn't stand her. He said some horrible things about her. I mean, you're... Hey, the conversation was over. But everything I ever heard about that group after that was the same thing. Man, they went to every revival in town. But yet their own family couldn't stand to be in the same room with them because they were so mean and hateful. See, the first person actually got it. The second person is just religious. And there's a difference. Now, a lot of people like to quote 2 Timothy 3.16. It's a great verse. And it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And a lot of times they stop there. And the second person that I talked about, they really love this verse, especially the part about doctrine and reproof and correction because they love rebuking people and telling them that they're wrong. But many times they leave out verse 17. And verse 17 is important because it's the verse that tells us the why of all of this. Why is it profitable in these areas for me? And it says that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's that word again, or that phrase again. I want to read them together. 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, 
for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. A lot of people don't like to go that far because that good work part just isn't spiritual enough for them. But there's that phrase again. It can't be a coincidence, could it? Maybe it's just a coincidence. It can't be as important as me being able to quote the whole New Testament to tell somebody how horrible they are. It can't be. But I believe that it is. I believe that we're called to good works and that when we do the good works that God created beforehand because they're so important for us to walk in the rest of our lives that we will experience the miraculous, that we'll be making a miracle everywhere that we go. In John 9, verse 4, Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So he's doing the works of those, uh, the one who sent him. I wonder what kind of works those are. They're good works. Jesus did good works, which are the works of God, and we should do good works because he tells us in Matthew 5, 14, that you are the light of the world. It says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, our good works that we've been called to walk in glorify God. And if we're not doing good works, then we're not letting our light shine. We're not being the witness that we should be. Now, this verse does not mean that we're supposed to tell everyone about our good works that we're doing. It just says, let your light shine and they'll see the good works that you're doing. You don't tell them because if we start telling everybody, then all we're really doing is bragging, trying to glorify ourselves instead of God. It's not, it's not the way it's supposed to be. But if we'll be faithful in the good works, then that light will shine and God will be glorified. When you go into a dark room and turn on the light or walk in with a flashlight, you don't have to tell everybody, hey, I just turned this light on. They can see it for themselves. It's the same way with the way we're to live our lives. We're to live our lives doing those good works and letting that light shine and they'll see and glorify God without us having to tell them everything. And so I want to encourage you today because I know that this is a church, uh, this church is a house of good works. Good people who do good things. And I know you're a people of good works. And just the short time that uh, Heather and I have been here, I've heard a lot of different stories about good works that have been done through this house and through the, through the people of this house. I've heard about the different uh, men at the church that have sacrificed or donated their time and uh, their skills for different things to, for the church, for the community, and never charging a dime. Uh, I've heard stories of the lady that Sister Carolyn was talking about that brought the meals. What was her name? Ann Bennett, her, and then several other people talking about her as well, about going out of her way when people were sick, when people were grieving, just doing a kind gesture of bringing a meal or whatever. That's important. That's powerful. That's, that's some of the most powerful ministry that you can, you can ever do. It gets forgotten a lot of times because it's not an easy thing to do. It's difficult, especially if you can't cook, I guess, but it's It's difficult. <laughs> See, I don't believe that as a church that you have to have a lot of people and a lot of money to experience the miraculous and the power of God. But I do believe no matter how big or how well off your church is, you do have to be people of good works if it's going to be genuine. 
See, if a ministry is truly effective, if a ministry is truly experiencing the power of God, then there are going to be good works. I think if you probably went and took a lot of your uh, of proven ministries that know that they they're uh, that they're in line with Scripture and doing everything that that God has called them to do, you're going to find good works. You'll probably find that it was founded on good works. Many of them were founded on good works and became a ministry later, and they're going to be sustained through good works. You might not always see it because you might just be seeing the parts on TV or the part that's in the book. But if you go and you dig, you will find it. It's not always uh, right there. I was here uh, listening to something the other week and hearing about some stories retold that I'd heard before about different preachers. And these are well-known guys with established uh, ministries that are doing well. And the first one they were talking about when uh, he was at his first church and they didn't have a lot of people. They didn't have a lot of finances. And his assistant pastor was saying that he can never hardly remember a time when somebody wasn't living with the pastor and his family. That there was always someone who was out of a job or had lost their home or was moving new to the area. And he would open his home to them, even though he was barely able to take care of his own family. He would sacrifice and he would do these good works. So now people see him with all the blessings and they usually have something bad to say because that's what good Christian people like to do, it seems like. Another guy, they had, uh, he had been doing ministry for children, uh, sacri- uh, volunteering his time, sacrificing his family to do all these things for uh, five years, different stuff. Had a lady come in the church that was known in the community for uh, basically for being mean and crazy. She used to beat up men in the bars and stuff. And so uh, she, uh, they had a weird nickname for her because uh, she was just known as Trouble. She gets radically saved and delivered. They cast demons out of her in the service. She comes to him and tells him she don't have anywhere to go because all her friends, she's been involved in uh, all kind of um, just horrible lifestyle and the cult and all this other stuff for so many years. She basically has no normal friends. He lets her move in on his couch. And he's got children and a wife in the house. And uh, I don't know about you, but... If somebody comes in and you cast a bunch of demons at them, are you going to want them to come sleep on your couch that night? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I would do in that situation. I'm pretty sure what Heather would tell me to do, but I don't know what I, what I would do. But they, they, they would do this, and that's a good work. He opened up himself and he helped her. There's another one that uh, he's got a, uh, all kind of videos out of different healings and miracles and things that have happened, and... and uh, I've heard his testimony several times about all the, the time he put in just ministering to people with no success for years. And then God began to bless his ministry. And when he began to be blessed, one of, his, one of the things him and his wife did is they decided to become 100% tippers. So that means that if the bill's $100 at the restaurant, the waitress gets a $100 tip. If it's $75, the waiter gets a $75 tip. He does it everywhere that he goes. And I'm not telling anybody to do that. But here's the thing. When you watch his videos, what I began to notice, guess who most of the people he's praying for are? Waiters and waitresses in his videos. You give somebody a tip like that, you know, you bless them, it's amazing how all of a sudden they want to talk to you. And they open up to the man and he finds out that they've got this problem, that problem. He's leading them to the Lord. He's praying for, sore, uh, for, for uh, knees and backs and necks and issues that, those, that come along uh, with the territory of that type of job. 
but it's always people who are serving him or waiting on him for something uh, a lot of times. Or he's in a, in a situation where he sees someone and, uh, that looks like they're in need and he blesses them physically first before he speaks to them and, and the door is opened. And uh, he has unbelievable miracles. Now, I know that he spends a lot of time in prayer. I know that he's a man of faith. I know that he takes unbelievable risks, but he's a man of good works. All three of these people I mentioned are known for miracles. But most people don't know about the good works. They just think they need to, you know, do something. And there's no, I'm not against doing something super spiritual. If God calls you to a 40-day fast, go for it. But I'm just saying don't neglect the good works that he's called you to. And I don't know a lot about the history of this church, only being here a few months. Everything that I learn about it, I like more and more. But I do know a little bit about uh, the history of uh, Cumberland Church of God. My grandfather was pastor there for over 18 years. And, uh, and he started and, and built up a lot of churches in North Carolina. And they would, he was a contractor before he got saved, so they would send him all around to churches that needed building programs or, you know, in bad shape or they needed to start something uh, from scratch. And he was a great man. And he was a good pastor. He was a powerful preacher. But the success and the miracles that happened throughout his ministry and that happened especially at that church, they did not just happen because he was a good preacher or a great pastor. That's what everybody thinks. If they can just get the perfect preacher, the perfect pastor, if they can just get this, this guy's a fireball that, or this lady, whatever. What he would do is everywhere that he went while he was working on his church, he almost always found someone else who was working on a church. And he volunteered his time to help them lay brick, to frame, to whatever they, whatever they were working on. He was always working on somebody else's church, not just his church. And like I said, good deeds, doing good works, it all looks different. I know it's a lot, a lot different about trading things, but, but the same thing. You can invest in other places and other people. Uh, when they say, have you ever heard them say, if you're sick, find somebody who needs a healing and pray for them, and then you'll receive a healing. If you need a financial need, find somebody and buy them a meal or give them, give them some money, and you'll be blessed. Finan it's called doing good works. That's what that is. It's just the same thing like everything else that seems to happen where they get, they keep like kind of like uh, polluting it and polluting it more and more and more until it becomes name it and claim it. And it becomes just like a system to get a miracle, a system to get a blessing, a system to get this and get that. No, it's just doing good works. If you'd have been doing the good works to begin with, you might not have been in the situation to have to think to find somebody to go. We have to find, they're everywhere. There's people everywhere that we could do good works for. And that's what he did. And so when this church began to grow, it wasn't just growing because he was able to get people to come to the altar or because he was uh, such a good preacher, people wanted to come back and hear him again. It's because he began to reach people who were doing good works. And as he began to reach people, and the more people that came in, they became people of good works. And so I wrote down a couple of things here that came to my mind in like a two or three minute brainstorm about that church. And uh, I probably could talk for an hour if I actually knew all the things. Because see, people just see when a church is growing, oh, that church is doing great. That church has this many. That church has that many. And, and they don't see that actually a lot of times it's the little things that no one sees that is the backbone of the church or the family or the unit or what, the business, whatever it is. And so one of the things is they had a lady get saved at the church while he was there. And she came to my grandma and she said, 
I want to do something for the Lord, but I can't do anything. And she didn't know, I don't know what to do. I just feel like I need to do something. I can't, I can't I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. I'm at the house all day with the kids. And, she, and my grandmother said, well, could you tell the people on your street about the Lord? She said, yeah, I could do that. I could talk to my neighbors. That's something I could do. And so that's what she did. She began to talk to each neighbor. Guess what? Each neighbor started coming to church at different revivals, and they all started getting saved. And they were already uh, people of good works. These neighbors, were they were already good people before they got saved and were serving the Lord. But as they came in, it was more and more people that were, good, that were people that did good works. And, and the church just began to grow. And some of these people, well, they were until they went on to be with the Lord, some of the backbones of that church. Through my grandfather's ministry, through uh, Brother Keeter's ministry, and even with Bishop Revere there now at Rivers of Living Water. He also had another family came in, which I'm so thankful for, was my mom's family. The Kennedy family came through that church. They were going to a Baptist church in Grace Creek, I think when they did go. And my aunt, one of my aunts came and got, uh, I don't know what happened to her, but I don't know if she got saved or she rededicated her life or what, or, or she got Pentecostal, whatever you want to say. She got another one of the aunts come, then my mom to come, then my grandpa to come, then my grandma to come. Believe it or not, as sweet as, for those that knew my grandma Kennedy, as sweet as she was, she was the last one to come. And so they were people of good works. And when my grandfather actually passed away, he uh, passed away with Alzheimer's when I was just a little boy, they found a ledger that he had hidden uh, in the bedroom where he had been uh, giving money away for years. And what's crazy is he had 10 kids and was so poor that he was so poor that uh, somebody from the um, social services or the county or something asked him to please come in and sign up for welfare. And he told him no. That's pretty bad when they're coming and asking you to come in. You're, that, you're so poor they're coming after you. That's bad. But yet he, they found a ledger about where he had been loaning money with no interest to different people that were in need that they had no clue about. And when my grandmother passed away, one, a lady came in to see the family that had farmed with them over the years. And uh, I heard her telling the story about my grandfather buying uh, them a bed when they didn't have a, she didn't have a bed for her kids in the house. And no one in the family knew anything about it. So he was letting his light shine. And not only did that family, my mom's family has had unbelievable things happen to them from where they started at to where they are now and the miracles that have happened, but the church was having miracles. They were having miracles. A lot of miracles happened through Cumberland Church of God and through rivers of living water, all these different things. They had another brother. He, uh, I think this would have been late 70s, early 80s. He got saved. God radically changed his life, but he was one of those guys. He just said exactly what he thought no matter who was around, no filter at all, and uh, <clears throat> he he. So he kind of wouldn't be accepted in some places to speak, but he had a burden on his heart, and he wanted to do something for the Lord. And so what he did is he went and he started visiting this rest home and aggravating them to death until they finally agreed to let him start holding services at this rest home. And so that rest home ministry kept going long after this, this uh, brother's death, and uh, it was still going up until COVID. I don't know what's happened after COVID, but actually, Heather and I, a few years ago, they called me and they said, uh, Brother so-and-so's sick. Can you come tonight and speak at, the, uh, speak at the rest home? I'd never been before. 
None of this stuff was ever told like from the pulpit. Like, y'all need to get involved with the rest home ministry. Y'all need to show that it wasn't promoted. It was just the good works that were going on behind the scenes of good people doing what God had called them to do. And so Heather and I go, and the good thing about rest home ministry is uh, I don't really do like the most like emotional drawing uh, uh, altar calls to like forcing people to an altar. But when you go to a rest home, they all need prayer. You don't even have to ask who needs prayer. They all need it. So you just get to pray for everybody. And so Heather and I pray for these people, uh, all the people at the rest home. And uh, there was a guy there that had this giant, I don't even know what it was, on his forehead. Some huge knot. I don't know if it was a tumor. I don't know if he had fallen. I don't know what it was. It wasn't like bruised or anything. It was just this huge knot. And uh, we saw one of the ladies, the faithful sisters, who was there every time they did the rest home ministry. I can't remember if it was weekly, monthly, or how, what it was. But when we saw her uh, somewhere after that, she came up all excited and said, well, i got to tell you all what happened. The man that you all prayed for with that big knot on his forehead, it was gone the next day. God healed him. And because uh, that's the thing. Sometimes when you get older in age, it's... Uh, Sometimes we just put up with stuff because we've been told our whole lives that's just what happens when you get old. But it doesn't have to be that way. So the thing about it was is I got called at the last minute. I hadn't been on a 40-day fast. I hadn't prayed about the message I was going to preach that night for two weeks. I hadn't done any of that. I pulled one out, warmed it up, and took it to them and gave it to them. It was because of the, I believe it was because of the good works that had been sown into that field week after week, month after month, year after year that started with one brother having it on his heart to do something good that God had called him to do. They had another sister at the church that she had a burden for the Hispanic community. Talked to my grandpa, wanted to start some type of Hispanic ministry, and I don't remember how it started. I do remember that she would sit beside people that couldn't speak English and translate for them, and then I remember they had these uh, some kind of little backpack thing, uh, earpiece things where she would be in the, another room or uh, up in the crow's nest thing telling them, translating it for them. And, and that began to grow. And then when Bishop Johnny, the, the pastor there now, when he came about 30 years ago, when he got there, or 35, when he got there, that really just, they took it to another level and the Hispanic ministry just grew like crazy. But it started with one lady. Another lady said, had, had, I don't even know if she came to the church about this. This was after uh, grand, my grandfather. This is when Brother Keeter was there. She, she came and she started a homeless ministry, feeding the homeless. And it wasn't long after that they started a food pantry. See, most people would think you'd start the food pantry, then you would start feeding the homeless, but that's not what happened. They started the food pantry because her homeless ministry was doing so well, and they never, they never tried to get people to go help her. I don't remember. I mean, it got mentioned every now and then. There was a little little thing at the bottom of the bulletin every now and then. But it wasn't this big event. But she was faithful in it. And I hope it's still going on now that she, she's no longer with us either. I hope it's still going on. But the amazing thing that out of these few things that jumped into my mind, and I, there's no telling how many more uh, other people could come up with, and how many, I know there's a ton of them here in this church that people could tell over the years. But all the miraculous things that God has done, the impact that has been made all over the world through those people and through the church, only one out of that list was facilitated by the church. Only one. And that was only because where else was she going to translate for the people who couldn't speak English? 
everything else started and, or either stayed on the outside of the church. It was just the good works of people that love God and were doing the things that he called them to do. So, you know, this statement here, let me, well, I'll just say it. Good programs are important, but they're never going to replace good works. And when you think about a lot of the things in the church, it's all about this program and that program. And I'm not against programs. I'm not very good at programs, but I'm not against them either. But a lot of the new programs, when you think about it, it's kind of like a, I don't know, a lot of them seem like advertising or marketing when you get down to the, to the bare bones of it. But a lot of the way the churches grew in the past was all through good works. It was a genuine motivation of love of doing something nice for someone. Even if you were inviting them to church, you were inviting them to church because you were concerned about that person, not because you knew if we could get a few more members, we could do this or do that financially. That's not what it was about. It was about the good works. And so that's why, uh, and I know programs aren't going anywhere. We need good programs, but they're never going to replace good works. When you can get the programs to, to come into alignment with the good works, now then that's when something powerful is going to happen. No, I don't have the answer for that either, but I'm sure if somebody figures that one out, that's going to be awesome. But I want to challenge you today to continue to do good works. God sees every single work that you do, and while we continue to be people of good works, we need to expect to see and experience miracles because they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. You can get, if you go and look through the Scriptures, I think you'll be surprised how often you'll see it. And so with that, I want to encourage you that even when the enemy tries to tell you that you haven't prayed enough or that you haven't studied enough or that you aren't anointed enough or whatever else he tries to tell you to basically saying you haven't done enough, just remember that you're a person of good works. And if you're a person of good works, doing good works doesn't earn a miracle. It doesn't cause a miracle. But doing good works is an expression of faith. And that puts you in a position to experience a miracle. It's important. We need to be people of good works. When, when, when people found out that Heather and I were coming to Sapona Road, almost everyone that knew about this church told us the same thing. They would say, man, those are some really good people over there. I even, someone I uh, hadn't, I don't hardly ever talk to this person, but I, I had to talk to him about a certain thing and uh, he, he said he hadn't, he hadn't come to a service here in over 25 years. But man, those are some amazing people over there. Those are some good people over there. He goes to church somewhere else. It's just things happen in life. He moved to different stuff. But he said, those, those are some good people. They always have been. And see, I knew then, even then, but I know even better now that they weren't just talking about you as people. They were talking about your works. This is a church of good works. And I can say that the other ones that have come from Impact and 707, which we're all one family now, but at the same time, they're people of good works. And even looking out at this small group of people, I, I can probably tell several stories of people who have done unbelievable acts of generosity and compassion for others, from something small to something big. And... Uh, I believe that there are testimonies of miracles throughout this entire room, and I believe that we're going to continue to see testimonies of miracles as we continue to do the good works that God has for us to do. They're important. 
There's something simple that a lot of people have probably overlooked in the making of a miracle. Everybody wants a miracle. Everybody wants to know about miracles, but is everybody willing to do the good work that God's called them to do? Because just like the list of things that I just said, most people, most people that think that uh, facility over there on Bingham Drive is just beautiful, everything's just perfect, everything's just right, oh, this is good, is that is good, they have no idea about all the good works that have been done behind the scenes by so many faithful people. The leadership over there knows it, but there's a lot of people. But see, that's the thing. It doesn't matter who knows it. The Father sees it. And when the Father sees it, just like Cornelius got his attention, you get his attention. Not because you've done something to earn a miracle. You've done something to earn his favor. But when you get the attention of the Father, it's just miracles happen because he's the God of miracles. Dear Lord, we just thank you again. God, we thank you that we qualify for miracles because we're your children. Lord, you are with us. The Holy Spirit is with us, God. And Lord, I just thank you that we will go forward doing good works, Lord. Not worrying about trying to impress people, God, but just doing what you've called us to do, knowing that it will bring you glory. God, I pray that every person in here will be blessed, just have an amazing week. And God, we give you all the honor and the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.